Welcome to Nope, Never Saw It. I'm Gina, a movie lover. And I'm Sonia, a movie not lover. My mission is to make Sonia watch all the movies she's never seen. And my mission is to watch more movies and not always have to say, Nope, Never Saw It. So we started this podcast. We hope you enjoy it. So Gina? Yes, Sonia? I'm ready. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Nope, Never Saw It. I'm Gina, and with me always is the beautiful Sonia. Hi, Gina. Hi, Sonia. I feel like we should be calling each other like Romeo and Juliet today. I, you're right. <laughs> we should have come up with special um, Shakespeare character names uh-huh. for today's episode. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be Jilly Longbottom. Oh, you came up with that very fast. I really did, didn't I? Isn't Longbottom Neville's last name in Harry Potter? Probably. Okay. Um, I will be Lady... Um, I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just Lady. Just Lady. Okay, mm-hmm. Lady and Jilly Longbottom. Welcome to our podcast, everybody. We're picking Shakespeare names because we're going to be talking about Shakespeare in love. I am very much looking forward to discussing this film with you, Sonia. But before we do, we're going to start with our traditional friendship. So, Sonia, my friend share for this episode has to do with a very big life altering decision that I recently made. Oh, my gosh. Are you ready? I am. So last week I decided to cancel my cable and my phone. I saw that you were saying goodbye to your phone. Yes. I said goodbye to my phone on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still have a cell phone obviously, but, and I didn't want to say landline because technically it's actually not a landline. Like if there were a power outage, I wouldn't be able to use my phone is my understanding. So, but yeah, I, I said goodbye to those two things. The cable is not that big a deal. I've not watched anything on cable ever since I got my, um, what's it called from Amazon? Fire starter, fire stick, fire fire stick. So that wasn't as much of a loss for me, but not having a phone, like a regular phone with an answering machine feels kind of weird. However, I have to say the, I used to have on my desk, my phone with the answering machine and the the modem and all that equipment on my desk in this little workspace here. But when they came and took everything away and they upgraded my internet connection, the modem is now in the basement in by Brian's computer. So now I have a bigger workspace. That's excellent. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty excited. And I did realize that, <clears throat> excuse me, the the one advantage to having a cable box, even though I didn't use it anymore, was that I always knew what time it was when I was watching TV. Mm-hmm. So I recently purchased an alarm clock that is now sitting next to my DVD player. So I will always know what time it is. And I feel, I feel a little better. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The time is like a huge thing on 
having a cable box, like a, a huge benefit to it for sure. Right. Exactly. Especially because it went for daylight savings. It resets by itself. Mm-hmm. If there's a power outage, I don't have to reset the clock. There were a lot of advantages in that respect, but not, you know, 80 bucks a month advantage. Yeah. And yeah. did, I mean, did anyone ever use your home phone number? Just my mom and my sister. Okay. Yeah. And I'd been hanging on to it for so long because I didn't like the idea that anyone could reach me anywhere at any time because I always have my cell phone with me, but I obviously have to get over that, especially if only two people are ever (laughs) using that number. Yeah. So, um, you know, and also it eliminates my phone had this weird feature where when it would ring, it had a voice over that would say call from, and then it would, my parents have that. Yeah. And it's super annoying and there was no way to ever turn it off. So I don't miss that. I don't miss, um, getting the, the robo calls today. I took a nap on the couch and I didn't have to worry about the phone ringing. I didn't have to unplug my phone before we recorded today. So Mm -hmm. I'm already seeing the benefits in addition to the reduced, bill. So I'm, I'm feeling good about this decision. It it took me a long time to get to this point, but I feel, I feel very confident about it now. It's so funny because we've always pretty much always have had one because like the package is like cheaper to bundle it than Mm -hmm. to not have it. So like same, we have one. And then funny enough, um, I think when we moved into this house, um, Sean just like happened to ask them if his childhood phone number was available and it was. <gasps> so now there's like, it's just like sentimental and I actually yeah. know the phone number. So, um, I think we'll probably always just have it. <laughs> well, that's adorable. I didn't even know you had one mm-hmm. Yep, because <laughs> I just text you all the time. Exactly. It's the easiest way. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, I don't know how to quite top that one. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's pretty easy to, <laughs> I don't know mine. And mine is kind of, um, mine's not like a thing really. Mine is really just, I'm, I've reached the point of summer where I am now excited actively for fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know how you have, obviously everybody has like, me- <laughs> you know, how you have memories, <laughs> Memories. I know. I know something about memories. Yes. Yeah. You know how people sometimes remember things. Sometimes. Um, for some reason, like the feeling of the beginning of fall, always like it's not even memories necessarily, but like sensations. Maybe like I can like smell the nighttime, or I just like think about it getting colder. And I feel like I also really welcome the fall, mainly for two reasons. Number one, actually three reasons. Number one, I, I think like fall clothes are so much better. Like I never know what to wear in the summer. Like I will wear like a band t-shirt and shorts and like, that's all I have. Like, I just don't have summer clothes. That's all Um, you need. It's all you need. Right. But like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I need to mix it up. But anyway, so that that's reason number one, reason number two, fall has the best like, uh, coffee flavors and beer flavors. And it's also just beautiful to look at. And then I also just feel like the summer is always so busy. So then when the fall starts, I think people start to hibernate a little bit more and I feel like it's not as busy. And I kind of am ready to like 
hibernate is really the right word for it. So I'm just, I'm just excited and it's coming. It'll be here soon. Well, you know what? I also love the fall. Fall is my favorite season, but Mm -hmm. it's funny. You say how people start to hibernate and get less busy, but for me, it's the opposite because you have to go back to work. (laughs) I have to go back to school, but I do agree with the flavors. I love fall because I can have anything pumpkin and Mm -hmm. not feel judged for it. Yep. Um, And usually in the fall, we get to start our fire pits on my patio. And one of my friends, Jed, he convinced me to keep doing backyard movie nights in the fall. That's a great idea because so far I haven't been able to come to one. Yes, I know, Sonia. I know. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe you should be consulting my schedule before you set the I really date for should. The next I really one. should. Okay, for the next one, I'm going to consult your schedule before I pick a date. And as I said, I feel like I get less busy in the fall, so maybe it will be better. The summer's That's just true. hard. The summer's just hard. Yeah, I don't. Are you going on any fish tours in the fall? Not that I know of. They aren't doing. There's like a rumored fall tour, but everyone is saying it's not true, but it might be true, but it's probably not true. So you just never know. I just never know. Well, here's to something that is true, Sonia. This drink that I have in my hand right now. And can I just say, before you say what this drink is, Sonia texted me the name (laughs) of the drink with an eye roll emoji. And in my head, I imagined how she would say, the name of this drink on our podcast. So Sonia, please introduce what we are drinking today. So I would like to say it the way that I really say it, but also the way that I think that you would, that, that, and, and the way that I think that you are expecting, but then I also want to say it the way that I think you wish I would say it. Okay. Um, okay. So the, the wish way is much a woo woo about nothing, (laughs) but the actual way and the eye roll emoji. It was much a woo-woo about nothing. And there it is. <laughs> was that was that, that is what I heard in your text. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that is what that is what crossed my mind. And there are a lot, a lot of Shakespeare themed drinks that are like terrible puns. <laughs> so Um, This drink is delightful. The main reason I chose it was actually because I had all the ingredients already, um, which are vodka, peach schnapps, cranberry juice, and lime. And I just watched the film yesterday, so I knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of time for me to get stuff. And I wanted to give you, Gina, more more than one day's notice. Um, Thank you. But... I have... And then obviously I chose it as well because there are because it's the title of of another Shakespeare work. Um, But I do want to talk a little bit more about why I chose it. Um, But I want to save it until we've started to talk a little bit more about the film. Okay. So we'll come back to it. Well, okay. So I guess then we should just get right into it. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. We're going to be talking about Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love was released in 1998. It was directed by John Madden, written by Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard. Starring, I, okay, I listed all of the people in this movie that are well-known that even as I was watching it the other day, 
I was like, oh my God, that's right. He's a, he's in it, he, you know? So I have a long list of people in okay. it, including two of our top build actors starring Gwyneth Paltrow as Viola de Lesseps, Joseph Fiennes as William Shakespeare, Jeffrey Rush as Philip Henslow, Tom Wilkinson as Hugh Fennyman, Martin Clunes as Richard Burbage, Simon Callow as Tilney, Master of the Revels, Dame Judy Dench as Queen Elizabeth, Colin Firth as Lord Wessex, Imelda Staunton as the nurse, Rupert Everett as Christopher Marlowe, and Ben Affleck as Ned Allen. Now, Sonia, this is a lot of names that I'm throwing out there, which means I have, in the tradition of Note Never Saw It, a long list of movie titles that I'm going to share with you. And all of these titles are connected to each of these names. So, Sonia, I'm going to read each title to you one by one. If you've seen the movie, you can say, yes, Gina, of course I've seen it. And I'm also going to give you the option, Sonia, if you're unsure whether you've seen the movie or not, because that has happened a few times, you can say, I don't know. It's a mystery. Okay. And if you have seen the movie, what do you say? No, oh, if you have not seen the movie, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say the answer anyway. If you have not seen the movie, what do you say? Nope, sir. I've never seen that film. Oh, oh, jolly good. <laughs> well, let's get right to it, shall we? All right, John Madden, who directed Shakespeare in Love, also directed these two films, which honestly, I'm, I'm, un it's unclear. It's a mystery whether I've seen them or not because I don't remember. Proof. Uh, what is that movie? I believe it's about math, and I think Gwyneth Paltrow is in it. I think I have seen possibly parts of it um the story is very interesting I would like to see it okay I think I've seen it but I it's been such a long time that I honestly don't remember because yeah. I did go through a Gwyneth Paltrow phase mm -hmm. where I just wanted to watch everything she was in oh dear I believe it's a mystery it's a mystery and he also directed the best exotic marigold hotel I have seen that. Okay. I don't know if I've seen it. I can't remember. I feel like I have, but I don't remember. It's excellent. Okay. I believe you. All right. Mark Norman, who was one of the screenplay writers for this film, also wrote, again, this is a film I have not seen for sure, Cutthroat Island. Nope. Never saw it. Okay. And Tom Stoppard wrote the screenplay. In addition to many wonderful plays... I love him. He's one of my favorite playwrights, but he also wrote the screenplay for Empire of the Sun. Nope, never saw it. Okay. Now, Gwyneth Paltrow, who plays Viola de Lesseps, starred also in these films. This one I'm pretty confident you've seen because I think I've asked you this already. Sliding Doors. I have seen that. I thought maybe with you, but maybe I saw it and then we talked about it. I don't know. I love that movie, though. Yeah, it's a good movie. I think it's one of my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow. No, I don't think I know it's one of my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow movies. Mm. And Running with Scissors. I have read that book. Okay. So I don't know if I've seen the movie or not. It's a mystery. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. Joseph Fiennes, who plays William Shakespeare, was also in these two films, Enemy at the Gates. Uh, is Will Smith in that? No, it's what a, am I well, thinking of? I don't know what you're thinking of. Enemy of the state. Oh yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so definitely, definitely nope, never saw it. <laughs> okay. And he was also, he also was in Elizabeth. Uh, nope, never saw it. Okay. 
Jeffrey Rush, who played Philip Henslow. And, and for the rest of them, I just picked one film. And again, for so many of these actors, it was really, really hard for me to pick just one, especially for Jeffrey Rush. But he was in The King's Speech. Yes, I've seen that. Okay. Tom Wilkinson, who I adore. Me too. Was in The Full Monty. Nope, never saw it. Oh, Okay, I'm very excited because this is so going on the list. Okay. Okay, Martin Clunes, who played Richard Burbage, was in Swing Kids. Uh, so I feel like I need to phone a friend here. Okay. I feel like this is a movie Lauren and I have talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if I ever saw it or if we just talked about seeing it. I also am not 100% sure that it is her that I've done with. So okay. let's just go with, nope, never saw it. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Simon Callow was in Four Weddings and a Funeral. I saw that when I was okay. quite young, so I have no idea really what happened. But can I tell you, I saw it in the theaters and I loved it. And then I recently started rewatching it and I didn't get through the whole thing. This was probably within the last year. And for me, it does not hold up for so many mm, reasons. Okay. So if you ever rewatch it, I would love to have a discussion with you okay. about, about this film. Okay. Dame Judy Dench was in Notes on a Scandal. Um, is, who else is in that? Kate Blanchett. I think I maybe have seen it. Okay. It's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery. There's a lot of mysteries here today. Okay. Colin Firth, who is a wonderful actor, so I feel a little guilty throwing this title at you. He was in Love Actually. I have seen that. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I hated it. Okay, that's fair. Um, Imelda Staunton, who plays the nurse, was also in Sense and Sensibility. Nope, never saw it. Okay. It's a beautiful film. Rupert Everett, who played Christopher Marlowe, voiced Prince Charming in Shrek 2. Um, I think I have seen that. Is Prince Charming in both Shrek 1 and Shrek 2? He's in Shrek 2 and Shrek 3. Okay, so I'm pretty sure I've seen Shrek 2. Also, I always think that Sean looks like Prince Charming from Shrek. I'm trying to remember. Is Prince, oh, I guess so. For some reason, I'm thinking he's brunette, but no, he's blonde, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could totally see that. And they have like the same haircut. I also think Sean looks like Kristoff from Frozen. Oh, I don't know what he looks like. I know, because you haven't seen it. Yeah. Which is why it's on the list, Sonia. So you can see your husband in <sighs> cartoon form. Oh, boy. I'm I'll just be saying. watching that movie by myself, guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least, Ben Affleck, who plays Ned Allen. Again, it was really hard to pick one Ben Affleck movie, but I picked one that if you have not seen it, I would love to watch this and talk about it with you. Armageddon. I've seen that. Damn it. I'm sorry. <laughs> you ruined everything. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I still love you. You okay. have not seen the full Monty and I'm really excited about okay. that. Good. I've redeemed myself. Okay. Yes. All right. And moving on in our efforts to prove that the television show Friends is the center of all things. Sonia, I have three Friends connections. Okay. <clears throat> I have two. Okay. Do you want to do me, you, me, you? Yeah. Wait, me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My first one is that Gwyneth Paltrow co-starred in The Paul Bearer with David Schwimmer. Ah, good one. Thank you. Um, My first one is that Gwyneth Paltrow was in two episodes of Web Therapy with Lisa Kudrow. 
I don't even know what web therapy is. It's like a, it's a show where Lisa Kudrow plays a therapist and she, every episode, I've actually never seen it, but it seems like something I would like Mm -hmm. every episode. She has a different guest on and it's always a different celebrity. It's supposed to be very funny. Oh, that sounds amazing. Was that streaming on something? I mean, it's got to be streaming on something. I think it's kind of old, I think. So I think it might've been on HBO or something. And then it was like very short lived, but then I think maybe they brought it back. All of these things I'm saying could be lies. Okay. I understand, but I'm going to check this out. Web therapy. Okay. Okay. My second friend's connection is that Ben Affleck co-starred in, he's just not that into you with Jennifer Aniston. I can't believe I didn't get that one. That's like our movie. That's our movie. Sonia. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. Three, two, one. One. Meltdown. Meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) Our listeners have no idea what we're talking about, but maybe we might have to watch this movie and talk about it on our podcast. I feel like that's coming down the pike at some point. Yeah. Maybe for like a special number episode, we'll do it. (gasps) Okay. Okay. Well, this is our 38th episode. Oh my God. So maybe for episode 50. I'm intrigued. Oh, maybe. And then when we do 50 movies, I also have a proposal that we come up with our own top 10 from all the movies that we've watched together. Whoa. I I, know. I think we should do that at a hundred. Okay. There's more to choose from and we're less likely to have the same ones. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Okay. What's your next friend's connection? Okay. (laughs) My next friend's connection is that this movie was filmed in 1998, which is shortly after Gwyneth Paltrow ended her engagement to Brad Pitt, who later went on to marry Jennifer Aniston. That's my last friend connection also. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. Do we? And it's the one I was like, is it okay that I say this one? But it is a fact. Yeah, I I know. (laughs) I had that Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Aniston both had a romantic relationship with Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. Sorry if we've offended anybody. We know it's a controversial topic. I know. But I feel I feel like Gwyneth moved on. And so did, did Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. They're both, they're both in a good place. They're both in a good place from what the tabloids say. Yeah. <laughs> and only from what I see in the covers of the magazines mm-hmm. about them. I don't actually read them. Yeah. Or maybe I do. Maybe it's my guilty pleasure. You'll never know. It's a mystery. <laughs> All right, Sonia. In our last episode, when I told you that we were going to be watching Shakespeare in Love, I asked you what you thought the movie was about. So, Sonia, are you ready for me to read to you your original plot summary word for word? Uh, yes, sir. That was bad. right <laughs> Okay. This is Sonia's original plot summary for Shakespeare in Love. Gwyneth Paltrow plays a woman who wants to be an actress, actor, actress, except this is back in the time where women weren't allowed to do anything. So like even like when Shakespeare was putting his plays on, men would play the female parts. So I think she and Ray Fiennes or the other one, there's two of them. They're brothers. Anyway, he, I think maybe is Shakespeare or he's like the producer of the Shakespeare play, like allows her to be in it, but maybe she has to pretend she's a man, which is so weird because she does not look like a man and they fall in love. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty accurate. I think I I feel like I knew things 
Well, sure. I mean, the movie was so popular and it had such like it was so praised. Mm-hmm. It was all over the place. So it would have been really difficult in hi Jacob. In I know I'm so sorry. Stop barking. Okay. In 1998 or 1999 to not be aware of the film and not know what it was about or anything about it. Jacob has some thoughts. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. I agree. Yes. I mean, that's pretty controversial, but you know, we'll allow it. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully he'll <laughs> stop. I'm just going to talk over him. That's fine. Are you, Gina, ready for my slightly revised summary? I was born ready. Okay. Here we go. I've got some theatric um, noise behind me. Will has sold his latest play to a theater company. The bad news is that he's got a major case of writer's block and has no actual play to give them. Viola loves the theater and boy, can she act. The bad news is that, well, she, she's a she. Will and Viola meet and she quickly becomes his muse, his leading lady and his leading man. As these star-crossed lovers embark on the greatest love story of their lives, they inspire what ends up being perhaps the most well-known work of the great William Shakespeare and one of the greatest and most tragic love stories of all time. That was lovely. I hope it wasn't too ruined. I have no idea why he's barking so much. No, but you know what's so perfect is remember in the movie, they keep talking about what audiences want, comedy and a bit with the dog. <laughs> it's true. What? No dogs? <laughs> so we We brought the dogs here. We're, we're giving everybody what they want today. Right. Okay, Sonia. So we always like to talk about our first impressions. I do remember the first time that I saw this film. I did see it in the theaters. I saw it with my college roommates. And I remember just very much falling in love with this movie. Maybe more specifically, Joseph Fiennes. I thought he was so dreamy. And I'm noticing that there is a pattern in the movies that I enjoy that we talk about. And I seem to always say that I fell in love with the leading male lead. I, whatever it is, what it is, but well, I, and that's their, their job is to make you fall in love with them. That's right. And I feel like he succeeded here. Um, I, I loved, I loved the story. I thought, I thought the writing was beautiful. I thought the, the visuals, the, the setting, the costumes, um, were just stunning to look at. I loved the musical score. I loved the performances. I loved, um, how they wove the story of Romeo and Juliet into this, um, possible experience. Again, this is all you know, speculation because there's so much that we don't know about Shakespeare, which is really surprising considering how well known he is now it it always I find it really confounding that his life was so poorly I don't poorly I don't know it's just not documented very well they're just we know the basic things but not much else and I and this is a movie that I kept coming back to and and all of the things that I loved about it ended up being the things that they won an Academy Award for. They won seven Oscars for Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress, Best Actress, Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, and Best Original Musical Score. Sonia, they actually beat, they won um, Best Picture and they were um, another blah, 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 another movie that was nominated for Best Picture was Saving Private Ryan, which we have talked about. Oh, wow. Yeah, so- um, but Ben Saving and Private- Matt, head to head. 
<laughs> That's true. I didn't even think about that. Um, Steven Spielberg did win for best director, however. Um, although I feel, I feel that John Madden, his directing was absolutely beautiful for, I just, I just think it's a beautiful film and that's, and that's it. So that's, that's where I stand. Sonia, um, what did you think? I didn't hate it. Okay. (laughs) I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that the sets were beautiful. The costumes were amazing. Mm -hmm. Like it just made me want to put on a dress like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also love like how it's obviously a work of fiction, but I love how well and cleverly they incorporated like the things you do know about Shakespeare and like hinting kind of that, you know, about Christopher Marlowe and there's the whole conspiracy that they're the same person. Um, And I feel like they like kind of hint that in that you know, they're collaborating together. Obviously they are two different people. You see two different people in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really did, I, I can see why it did so well in the time that it came out. I can see why it's a movie that people probably go back to. I think the performances were excellent. I had a really, I will say I had a hard time with the least convincing performance category for that reason. Same. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely tough. Um, also best performance. I had a hard time with. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was difficult as well. Um, it's just, you know, I think it's, uh, I, I will say I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing a time check on how much was left in the film. Okay. Um, I really didn't take a lot of notes during it because I was just watching what was happening. Um, I think some of the things I want to talk about that I think were like my like criticisms of the film, I think are not specific to this movie. I think it's specific to like stories in general. Okay. Um, But yeah. I mean, I'm glad I saw it. I remember seeing the commercials for it when it came out. I remember when Gwyneth Paltrow won the award for it. Um, so now I feel like I've been kind of looped into movie history. Oh, okay, great. Well, what were what were some of the criticisms that you had? And you said that they weren't necessarily directed at this film, but about storytelling in general. So I'm really curious to know what those are. Yeah, I mean, I think, and this is sort of, I can go into why I chose the drink as well. Okay. Um, so the main issue I have with this film and films like it, and also Romeo and Juliet, is that like you've met for five seconds and you are that deeply in love. And I understand the concept. I think we talked about this a little bit during the um, When Harry Met Sally episode. We talked about the concept of love at first sight. And I am not necessarily a believer in it mm-hmm. um and actually let me correct myself um I believe in it but I don't know if I believe in like true love at first sight and if if it happens it's because you're like super lucky mm-hmm. so maybe that's the case um so Obvious, I think most people who are listening to this are familiar with the story of Romeo and Juliet. Certainly, if you've seen Shakespeare in Love, you are absolutely familiar with the story of Romeo and Juliet. And it's about, you know, it's about this young couple that meets, they fall 
immediately in love. They get married. They're like 16 and 13. They get married after like a week. Their Mm -hmm. families are enemies. So there's this huge conflict. And it very much mirrors the story of Will and Viola where they meet. They're immediately infatuated with each other. They've, you know, all of a sudden they're the most important person in each other's lives, even though they don't totally really know each other. And there's something, there's some circumstance out of their control that ultimately keeps them from being able to be together. So uh, Romeo and Juliet was written and produced and first came out in 1597. Three years later in 1600, Shakespeare, I, I don't know what came out really means. Like, I don't know if it was the first production or it was published or whatever it was, but three years later in 1600 is when Much Ado About Nothing came out okay okay so much ado about nothing seems to be so it's basically the story of two different couples um one is hero and claudio Mm -hmm. and the other couple is beatrice and benedict and hero and claudia claudio claudio hero and claudio um very quickly fall in love claudio sees hero's beautiful face and he falls in love with her, but he doesn't really know her. And as a contrast, Beatrice and Benedict know each other, presumably don't really like each other. But as the as the play goes on, you see them falling in love. They know each other. They fall in love, whatever. So um, I found an essay called Deception in Much Ado About Nothing. Oh. And um, the author of the essay basically is saying that this whole play is Shakespeare making a commentary about what true love actually is. And he's defining it as understanding trust and commitment. Um, And he does that by examining the contrasting relationships between these two couples. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just thought that that was really interesting because, you know, if you're to go back into the film and, you know, assume that what happened is true he has this Shakespeare has this very specific, you know, he, his like career really launches after Romeo and Juliet, Viola's his muse. He goes on to write Twelfth Night. He portrays her in that. And then just a few short years later, he writes Much Ado About Nothing. And I just mm-hmm. thought that was so interesting. Yeah. I, I like what, I like what you were saying earlier. And I, and I do remember us talking about it, this, this concept of love at first sight, because I, I mean, I, I think I believe in attraction at first sight, which is very different from love, because how can you love somebody you don't even know that you haven't even spoken to? And I, and I, I would argue that I think what Will and Viola have in this film is at least on his end is attraction at first sight. You know, he, he sees Viola when he's crashing the, the, whatever it is, the, the gathering mm-hmm. that they're having yep. in her home, uh, very similar to Romeo and Juliet. Again, we have the, you know, their story mirroring the play that he ultimately writes and he notices her for her beauty and, and not for anything else. And there's even that moment when they're in the boat and uh, Viola, as Thomas Kent, gives him the letter and, mm-hmm. you know, that which says that they can't be together because she's going, she has to marry somebody else. And, uh, and he talks about how beautiful she is. And then he says, 
And did I mention her bosom? <laughs> what no. about her bosom? You know, it's, yeah. it's so great because it's, um, you know, there for him, there is that, and I'm not saying it's, it's completely physical, but I think to that point, it is mostly physical. And maybe also, I think here is a struggling writer, you know, he's acting, but he isn't William Shakespeare yet. You know what I mean? Um, he's not, uh, he's still a hired player. He's not a hired writer. He's will. Uh, he's will. <laughs> he's will. And that's it. And here's someone who appreciates him for the artist that he's trying to be. So mm-hmm. I think that maybe that feeds his ego a little bit, you know, as, as someone who feels like he's not good enough. And there's that whole part in the beginning where he's talking to, I guess, what would have been considered a shrink or a therapist at the time. And there are all of these um, innuendos about how he feels like he's failing as a writer, but all of everything he says uh, comes across in a sexual way, you know, um, which is, again, like something, you know, going off on a little bit of a tangent, something that I really love about this film is how much the structure of the film actually mirrors the structure of a typical Shakespeare play, because he almost always begins with some sort of innuendo, because you have to appease all the groundlings, right? So, yeah, so the structure of the film mirrors the structure of a lot of the plays that he would write. But back to this idea of the attraction at first sight, I I think for him, and and this is very stereotypical when we talk about men and women and how they relate to each other is in, in a, in, in a relationship like that is that for men, it's um, I think the stereotype is that men are predominantly more drawn in to the physical attraction, whereas women are more drawn to the intellectual. Is he funny? Is he smart? How does he treat me? You know, that kind of thing. Um, You know, because all of those can make a a man more attractive to a woman, I think. Um, But, but yeah, but I agree, you know, we talk about love at first sight, but I think love is the wrong word. Do you think that even though their relationship is really, it, how, how much time goes by two weeks, three weeks? Yeah. Something Um, like that. Like, would you say at the end of the film that what they share is love or do you think that it's more lust? I think it is, um, I think it's somewhere in between because I think that that's like the stage where when you first start seeing someone, you like kind of start to have the feelings of like, oh, I could love this person. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they're never gonna be able to get past that point in each other's minds, there's always going to be this, like, I was falling in love with this person. And I, you know, I think it will become bigger than it potentially really actually was or meant to be if they could Mm -hmm. be together simply because they're stuck at that point. So, you know, I also think that that's potentially why, um, you know, he immortalizes her in his next play so he can sort of have a way of of acting out what he can't actually do with her um but then i have to wonder you know you think about the would they still be together or what's happening next and i think you know i think willie shakespeare met you know now all of a sudden he's sort of becoming famous i think he meets somebody else um 
who he very likely has the same lust at first sight attraction to, but he's actually able to play out the relationship more. And I think then now because of that, he looks back on his relationship with Byla and he's like, well, you know, I loved her, but it wasn't true love because I didn't really know her. I'm just speculating. a lot. <laughs> no, but I like that because you know what, when the 20 year old Gina who saw this movie in the theaters was devastated that they don't end up together. The 44 year old Gina understands that that's how the story has to end. And I think because, and, and I know this is something that has come up for us in all the films that center on a romantic relationship is, is this relationship going to last? Does it have the strength? Does it have the foundation to last you know, withstand the test of time. And there have been a couple times where we've said no. And I, and I really think that this particular relationship for so many reasons, it's not so much that watching it again, this time I felt this relationship would never last, but I understood the confines of, of Viola's situation. And I understood that she really doesn't have a choice and neither does will, you know, yeah. that, that is a relationship that could never work, not because of not because of the feelings that they have for each other, whether it maybe, you know, whether it falls too much on the end of the spectrum of physical attraction and lust versus compassion and passion. But I, I think that there, there are standings in, in life, you know, she is, you know, an aristocrat. She, she's from a wealthy, well-to-do family and he is a playwright and an actor. And at that time, that was considered a very low profession. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't actors weren't glorified the way they are today. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I was doing a little bit, I did a little bit of research because I was curious to know why is it that women mm -hmm. weren't allowed to perform during that time period? Because apparently this wasn't necessarily a universal thing. You know, there were, it, you know, it was, um, and, and at least during, Elizabethan times, um, it was, there, there weren't actually any laws forbidding women or prohibiting women from performing on a public stage. And I learned in fact, that in private settings, um, where productions were performed exclusively for the upper echelon for the aristocrats, women were actually allowed to perform, but it was considered more inappropriate for women to perform in public plays, um, because acting was considered a sin and they, and it was thought to be indecent for a woman to be on a public stage, um, which I thought, which, which I didn't know. So I found that to be kind of fascinating, um, you know, and it wasn't that much later, apparently the, or at least the first documented woman that we know of who performed, um, in London was in 1660. So we're talking just, you know, a few decades after, uh, this film takes place, but, um, yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I, funny, I looked that up too. Um, and I also saw that like acting was considered dangerous, at least by the Greeks and the Romans, though it was mm -hmm. sort of unclear why, um, perhaps because, 
it was frowned upon by the church. Um, but I did also see that kind of what ended up changing this was was opera because then all of a sudden now there was a new format in which to tell stories, but to have female characters, like men couldn't sing the female parts. So it did sort of contribute to the changing landscape as people, you, you know, supply and demand, you got to give the people what they want. And they wanted female actors, I guess. Yeah. Can I, I want to, I want to come back to that, but, um, piggybacking on something that you mentioned before about how it was dangerous. I, um, I was watching, there was a, you know, bonus feature on the DVD that I got from, I borrowed from the library because I'm still going to the library for the DVD. Good for you. I'm saving money on, on streaming movies, on platforms that I'm already paying for. I'm not mm-hmm. going to name those specific platforms, but I feel like if I'm already paying over a hundred dollars a year to access your you know, what you offer, you're still going to make me pay $5 to download. Yeah. I, the one, the one that I accessed it through, I had it for free. Wow. That's not, I didn't even look, I should have just looked, <laughs> you know, I usually do that. I don't know why I didn't do that okay. anyway. Um, but, but in this, in this little, um, documentary that they had, it was, you know, a little bit of behind the scenes of making of the film. But the, one of the things that they said was that, um, authorities were always trying to shut down the theaters, uh, because they felt that, the the productions invited what they called undesirable so you had pickpockets um prostitutes who usually found their tricks while they were at the performance um and they felt that the large gathering of people could put people at risk for spreading the plague um and yeah and and then what i also learned was that the reason why the playhouses remained open was because of queen elizabeth because she wanted them open because she enjoyed plays and she enjoyed theater. And I thought that was really interesting. And that added a little bit more to her character in the film. Um, Mm -hmm. But back to what you were, when you were talking about gender, I, even the first time that I saw the film, I thought it was really interesting the way that they played with gender and those boundaries in the film. Um, And that like, so you have Viola who wants to be an actor, but she's a woman. So, and during, in this context, she can't do it. Also she's, again, we've already established from a wealthy family. So it's not really an option for her anyway, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something she really, really wants to do. So she has to disguise herself as a man to be a part of the play but then at the end of the film she plays Juliet and you know so she's she's a woman playing the role of a woman but then when the play is over and she's confronted in front of everybody about who she is she has to bow like a man so she's a woman pretending no so she's a woman pretending to be a man pretending to be a woman yep Say that 10 times fast. I know, right? (laughs) And also when during all of the scenes, those montages of Viola and Will in the act of lovemaking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) reciting lines from the play, she's always reciting Romeo's lines and he's reciting Juliet's lines. Well, because they're running lines. They're running lines (laughs) while in the act of lovemaking. Um, So it's, uh, yeah, so I, I... 
I liked that about it. I mean, that's multitasking at its finest. It is, right? It is. Yeah. Um, Well, I just wanted to bring up, so I had mentioned before that there's a theory that Christopher Marlowe and Mm -hmm. William Shakespeare were actually the same person. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I remember, sorry, did you have a question? No, I was just going to say, I remember you mentioned it earlier and this is a theory I had not heard. I'd heard that Queen Elizabeth wrote Shakespeare's plays. That's a theory I've heard before. Oh, I've never heard that. Oh yeah. I, I remember in high school, we watched a documentary about it. Oh, that's crazy. So I've never heard the Christopher Marlowe one. So I'm, I'm intrigued. Keep going. Well, the Christopher Marlowe one is one that I had heard in high school. Okay. Wow. Okay. What? I know. Right. Like we clearly went to different high schools. (laughs) Okay. So also I just, can we just have a, a moment to talk about the fact that Christopher Marlowe was 29 when he died, which just feels so young to me. Yeah really very young. Okay. So Marlowe as Shakespeare is known as the Marlovian theory of Shakespeare's authorship. Mm. Um, And essentially the theory says that Marlowe did not in fact die during this bar fight um, in 1593, but that his death was faked. So a lot of people, so apparently people who believe that this is true are also called Marlovians. Okay, I love it. <laughs> um, they think that this is the case because there are apparently anomalies reported with Marlowe's death reports. But then on the other side of that, there's also like a lot of like well-documented evidence about his death. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm, I think the main school of thought is that this is a load of crap. Um, <laughs> but also that Marlowe was very, had a significant influence on Shakespeare, um, which you actually see in the film. You see mm-hmm. them talking to each other. Marlowe is kind of the one who suggests that this story isn't really about the pirate's daughter. Right. Ethel. Yep. Oh, Ethel. Um, <laughs> and um, also, they Marlovians like to point out the coincidence that even though supposedly Shakespeare and Marlowe were born two months apart, the first time you ever actually see Shakespeare's name in any records anywhere um, and connected with any literary work was when he first published Venus and Adonis, which was just a week or two after Marlowe died. So Hmm you know, people are kind of like, hmm, that's bizarre. But then the argument against that is that, again, as I mentioned, there's like a lot of well-documented, um, <laughs> well-documented documentation, mm-hmm. um, such as 16 jurors and inquest about his death. Um, and that there's not just a lot of evidence to say that, to really show that he didn't die. Um, So anyway, I just thought that was fascinating. I was hoping to find more concrete examples, and I'm sure there are some if I really had more time to dig into it. I did not. So if anybody is a Marlovian out there and can um, give us more insight, please email us um, at nnsipod at gmail.com or feel free to comment on our social media or, you know, anything. Yeah. 
Well, that is something that I appreciate this film is that it does touch on a lot of these different theories because like, like we've said already, we really don't know that much about Shakespeare aside from the well-documented documentation. You know, we have his, (laughs) we have his, um, the records of his christening, his marriage, the birth of his children. We have his plays. We, we know when he died, we know that he bought the, this big house in Stratford when he made it big as a playwright. We know he spent a lot of his time when he was working as an actor and a writer in London away from his family. And, um, but there are a lot of blanks that we can't fill in, you know, it, and, the, and which is so interesting to me because for someone who is such a prolific writer, I can't believe that there aren't any letters or anything like that saved, but I mean, you know, but this is me, you know, speaking as someone who lives in a time where everything you do is documented and saved somewhere. And, you know, so, but I like how this film tries to fill in some of those blanks and they actually purposefully chose this specific time in his life because we really don't know any specifics about what he was doing or what his life was like. So, um, the, it gave the writers, uh, some freedom to play with some ideas, you know, still staying within that context of, of that time and what he probably was doing and what he was working on. Um, like you mentioned the, the scene where Will is talking to Marlo and Marlo essentially gives him the, the foundational, context for Romeo and Juliet. Um, and uh, there, I know there was also, um, some speculation that the sonnets that Shakespeare wrote were written for someone that might not have been his wife, you know, scandal, scandal, or maybe they were for his wife, but you know, there, there are, um, there are people that believe that they were written for, uh, you know, another women, other women or other men. Um, and, uh, you know, Viola disguising herself as Thomas Kent um, will for them, their first kiss happens when she's in that disguise. Um, there are scenes of them being intimate while she's still disguised as Thomas Kent. So there's acknowledgement of, of the, of that idea um, that he was involved in a same-sex relationship with another man. Um, and I, and I, I really like that the film does touch on all of these ideas. So it gives a little bit of something for everybody, you know, no matter, you know, what you believe about Shakespeare's life, you can get some um, confirmation in that story, but it, but it's still so open-ended which is one of the things that I, I love about it. Um, I just think, I just think that the writing is so good. And I, and I also love, you know, I'll talk about that later, but um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I always find historical fiction kind of, um, it can be kind of frustrating, especially when they take liberties that like, and that's the whole point of it being historical fiction. But sometimes I feel like either it's you know whether it's film or novels like sometimes they take those creative liberties that you're just sort of like okay you've lost me but I think this was done really cleverly where like 
there's just like a little nugget of something and mm-hmm. then they kind of interpret it in a certain way, which you're like, okay, I could see that. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of little moments and you know, Easter eggs, if you want to call them, you know, nods to things that Shakespearean scholars would appreciate, but also people who just know, I know he wrote Romeo and Juliet because I had to read that freshman year of high school, mm-hmm. you know, that's enough to appreciate the story as well. Yeah. Um, but in that opening sequence where we first see Shakespeare and, and we see that he's practicing his signature, apparently he had six different signatures, six different ways of spelling and writing his name. Mm-hmm. Um, so they acknowledge that when he crumples up a piece of paper and throws it and it lands by the skull, that's a nod to Hamlet. And then there's another paper he crumples up and throws it and it lands in a in a chest and uh that's a nod to i think the merchant of venice so you know there are all of these little all of these little moments in the film where if you're familiar with his work if you've studied him um at length you you know and i like i said i watched this when i was in college and i was a lit major and i of course took a shakespeare course because how do you not take a shakespeare course when you major in literature yeah so there were a lot of things at the time that i picked up on i was like oh that's so clever oh my god i love it even even the dialogue i felt at times had that iambic pentameter mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. to it um yeah it was just uh i, I in so many ways i i thought it was very clever I think the six signatures thing is also another thing that Marlovians point to, Mm -hmm. um, to say like, oh, it wasn't, obviously he had all these different signatures because it wasn't really his name. So we didn't know how to sign it. No signature matches. (laughs) Okay. Calm down. (laughs) Um, well, I'm, I have a final thought, but then I will be ready for categories. How are you feeling? I feel the same way. I'd love to hear your final thought and then dive into categories. Okay. So my final thought is really a question. Um, So I guess, you know, the film ends and I I did also want to say I was kind of surprised that they don't end up together only because again, like this is historical fiction. I was waiting for that, um, that creative liberty that changes history. I thought the queen would find some way to get, Thomas Kent slash Viola, whose last name I can't remember, out of her situation. And Shakespeare clearly doesn't care about his wife anyway. Um, But, you know, that doesn't happen. So you see the final scenes are him writing Twelfth Night. You see Viola is in presumably Virginia, though it seemed like she was walking in a desert or something. That was a little bizarre. But... (laughs) But then that kind of leads to my question. So then what just happened? She moves to the U.S. with Wessex and then that's just her life, I guess. That sucks. Yeah. Wait, so what's your question? That is, that's how her story ends? Yeah, it's just, is that just, yeah, is that just how her story ends? Because that really sucks for her. I think so, because it's, it's a woman's duty. You know, she's, she's now married to Wessex. She, like I said, you know, I said earlier, the 44 year old Gina understands that this is how the story has to end, right? She um, is betrothed to someone else. A dowry has been paid. Um, a, the, a business transaction has been made. Yeah. So she, she has to go. Um I remember the first time I saw the film, I wasn't sure if they were suggesting that 
her ship does sink and Mm. she is washed up ashore. But I don't think that's what happens because one of the last things he says to her is that you will never age for me. Um, So we understand that his intent is to, she will always be his muse and she will be the person that he thinks of when he writes a strong female character. So Vila in Twelfth Night is that character. Um, so he's using her memory. You know, memories, you know how people have memories. <laughs> do, do they? Do people when people remember stuff? So he's using that as inspiration for his next story. So, you know, I walk away from it feeling that that what we see in the end is his vision of, of the story. But yeah, I think her story ends with her going to America, um, to Virginia, which my understanding is it doesn't exist yet actually. So that's a little of an inaccuracy, but that's fine. I'll overlook it. Um, but yeah, but that's, but that's how, that's how her story ends. Hmm. So they will never be together. Um, but he will make her immortal. What happens in Twelfth Night? In Twelfth Night, uh, Viola is washed on shore and she meets this duke who she falls in love with, but she has to disguise herself as a boy. I forget why. Um, but then she has a twin brother who she thought was dead. And then there's sort of this like three's company misunderstanding where, um, because her brother is a twin. So when she's disguised as a boy, she looks just like her brother. Um, she becomes close with the Duke, but he thinks she's a boy and he confides in her and he's in love with somebody, but she's in love with him, but he thinks she's a boy. So she can't tell him. And the brother appears in the story and the woman that the duke is in love with falls in love with the brother but thinks that viola is the brother because when she's disguised as a boy she looks just like him right so it's this it's been a while since i've read it um i have seen it performed it's a it's a wonderful play mm-hmm. it's a really it's a wonderful story i love it it's one of my favorite shakespeare plays actually oh nice um but yeah hmm. so that's that's the that's the general gist and it's a comedy so all ends well oh sure I don't know if there's a bit with a dog in that one. I forget. <laughs> uh, let's uh, consult our uh, our on-staff dog, uh, <laughs> Jacob. Jacob. <laughs> oh, now he's quiet. Okay. Well, with that, let's dive into our categories. Um, in this segment of our podcast, Gina and I discuss eight different categories and try to match our answers. Every time we match, we get a friend point. And at every multiple of 20, I get to choose the film, which pretty much just happened with Almost Famous. So we've got a ways to go. Um, In our last episode where we discussed Happy Gilmore, we scored one point. Shooter. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) we are now at 63 points. And uh, I'm going to kick us off with favorite character. Okay. Okay. I chose the nurse. Oh, um, I will say Queen Elizabeth was my runner up, mm-hmm. but I chose the nurse just because she was kind of comedic relief in the film. But I also just loved how she had Viola's back the whole time. And I think a lot of times in 
like certainly in Romeo and Juliet, the nurse is like not having all of Juliet's uh, shenanigans. And yet here's the nurse who's covering for <laughs> things she shouldn't necessarily be covering for. Like I, <laughs> I was laughing when she was rocking in the rock chair. <laughs> Go to, go to. <laughs> yep, yep, to cover the um, sounds of lovemaking. I also like that she helped Viola escape her wedding so she could go to the theater. Um, and she just also, like, she just was so supportive of Viola and when they were acting out Romeo and Juliet and she, you know, Viola as Juliet says the line, where's my prince or whatever the words are <laughs> she just goes dead like dead. she yeah. just she was a great character plus i also like that actress um the end yes well i will say can i can i share a fun fact which you probably know um imelda staunton who played the nurse uh was married to my runner-up for favorite character mm -hmm. jim carter who plays ralph bashford who plays the nurse in the yes. romeo and juliet play which i thought was really fun and he's also in downton abbey he's mm -hmm. the head butler um he was my runner-up i I really, I just, I love his character. I know he's, he's a minor character, but again, like he brought that comic relief. Mm -hmm. um, I love the the part where they're, I think it's when they first get the pages the for the first scene for Romeo and Juliet or the first couple of pages and some one actor is talking to him and he's saying something like, what, you know, where's the comedy? And he, he says something to the effect of, well, I was a pirate king and now I'm a nurse. That's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the part where, they, uh, where the theater is supposed to be closed down because they find out that Thomas Kent is actually a woman and mm -hmm. they're all obviously have been drinking and he's sitting very still. And then his face just, you know, falls right into his bowl of food. <laughs> and, um, uh, and when, and when he's talking, when they're at the, the house of ill repute and he's talking to one of the women and she asks him what the play is about and he goes, well, there's this nurse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like clearly that's the most important right right part. um but i picked as my favorite character the nurse <gasps> you faked <laughs> me out <laughs> i totally did i picked her i'm not gonna i won't i won't repeat what you said but uh for all the reasons that you said all right she, she was my favorite this this viewing yeah oh my gosh yeah um my least favorite character i had i was stuck between two characters um so I, I, I think I'm going to go, okay. I think my runner up, I'm feeling in my gut, my runner up for least favorite character is Tilney master of the revels, because he's always trying to close down the theaters and he just is on this pursuit. Um, and I, you know, doing some of my research, I understand why, but he's just, I don't know. He's obnoxious. So, but mm -hmm. I picked as my, my least favorite character, John Webster was the young kid that's playing with the rats all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, because he's really the one who, um, undoes everything that they've been building towards, you know, he outs Thomas Kent as being a woman. Um, so it shuts down the production. It creates more of a separation between Viola and Will. Um, so I just, I picked him as my, as my least favorite for this, this viewing of it. He was the one that I liked the least. And wasn't he also like, didn't he, uh, 
audition and he got turned down. So then yes. I feel like he just like had, he was like a gigantic sore loser and a gigantic tattletale. Yeah. And in real life, John, he, John Webster, he is, um, he becomes a playwright and he does mm-hmm. write like very gruesome, dark plays. Yeah. yeah. I also did not like him when he like, he is playing always playing with the rats and then there's like the one scene where he's like gonna feed it to the cat Mm -hmm. and like I'm all for you know the cat needs to eat something to live but like I don't need to see that you don't have to toy with these rats Mm -hmm. um or mice or whatever they were and I also chose John Webster oh my goodness Mm -hmm. two for two two for two oh my gosh okay I do think we're gonna deviate here I think so too my answer's weird mine's weird also What if we have the same weird answer? That would be really weird. Oh my gosh. Okay, go ahead. I'm kind of excited now. Yeah. I almost chose this person as my favorite character. Uh Um, And then I almost chose them as my runner up for favorite character, but then I wanted to give them best character arc. So I left them out. Okay. Kind of a similar concept to your favorite uh, runner up character where there's like a little bit of comic relief, Mm -hmm. Um, but I chose Hugh Fenneman. Um, oh my god, did you as well? I did too. Holy shit, <laughs> Gina. What okay. the hell is happening? Okay, so um <laughs> I I will let I will leave some space for you to comment, but I just loved like he's a minor character who has a major influence on the story. Um, and I love just like his delightfulness, and like you see him in the beginning, and he is this brute who's burning this guy's feet and he's just kind of like a ball buster like thug trying to get some money and then he gets cast in the play and he's so excited and like there's the one scene where he's like so you know will is like oh you're gonna be the apothecary and then there's like the scene where he's describing the twist of the story and he's like and then she goes to an apothecary and he's like that's me yes and he talks about the cap. I have a cap. Yeah, I have a cap. It's, it's blue. It's just, just so, just right for He's, I've seen apothecaries wear. Yeah, and like I feel like he just really like he was very much you know from the first scene he like is just trying to get his money to the end where he's like so invested in making this work and I think his motivation for it isn't even about the money at that point. It's mm-hmm. about. Like he's come to know these people and have appreciation for the work that they're doing. Um, I'll stop so you can say a few things as well. Yeah, no, I mean, all those things, like you said, in, in the in the very beginning, he's featured in the very first scene and he's the money lender. And, you know, like you said, his motivation in the beginning is just to make a profit. And there's even that moment where um, uh, um, Henslow is saying, you know, they're talking about, the money that they'll bring in for the production. And Henslow says, and we also have to play the playwright and the actors. And Fennyman says, well, they can just get the, the, you can give them the profits. And Henslow says, well, we never make profits. And he says, exactly. Mm-hmm. So he, he has zero consideration or care for the players, the playwright, or even the art of theater. But by the end, like you said, he's so honored to be playing even just a tiny role. Um, and, and you can see how moved he is by Will's play. Um, I, 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 I completely agree. I, I felt like it was such a, such a clear transformation. And I, 
Um, yeah, because I thought, you know, the, the, usually it's one of the, the principal actors that has the bigger arc, but I, I didn't see, you know, I, it's not that Will or Viola didn't change in some way by the end of the film, but cause I think they did, but I felt like, um, Tom Wilkinson's character just has such, he's such a completely different person, mm-hmm. um, by the end of the film. Yeah. And he I goes just from being like unbearable to incredibly likable and endearing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love Tom Wilkinson. So Same. I, me too. Right. Okay. For worst or least convincing performance. I know we had mentioned earlier that we both had a really hard time with, I had such a hard time with this category. Mm-hmm. I really, really struggled because I, I honestly feel that everybody is cast perfectly and that everybody is brilliant but I have to pick a worst or least convincing performance Mm -hmm. so the person that I picked I picked not because I think that their performance is bad because I don't I think they're very good in this film I just think they're the least good okay (laughs) maybe we should rename this category for for certain films least good yep um, I, I chose, and I, I probably might get some hate for this, but I chose Ben Affleck for <laughs> worst or least convincing performance. I, but the thing is, I thought he was really good in this film. I, and I do think he's a talented actor. I think he's an extremely talented director. Um, I, I actually would argue that he's a more talented director than actor in my opinion, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, I do think that this role was perfect for him, especially during this time. Like it's hard for me to separate the kinds of films that Ben Affleck was doing when they made Shakespeare in love to the things that he does now, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm trying to remember when reindeer games came out and Armageddon, you know, like these were, that was, I think reindeer games was like either right after like right after this, like I would say a year or two. I only because I remember when I like I was in high school, like later in high school when it came out. Yeah, yeah. So so I have a hard time separating that, but I I do feel that it was the right role for him. Um, I read that they actually wanted him to play Will and he turned it down, but mm-hmm. wanted to and wanted to play Ned. And and I think that was a really good choice. Was I don't, he- dating like because I read that he was like dating Gwyneth Paltrow yeah that he that he took a role because he just like wanted to be near her right yeah and that was kind of weird because anytime it would come up she would they would never like openly say that they were dating Mm. like she would always refer to him as my good friend Ben Affleck Mm. um you know uh but yeah like again like he wasn't he wasn't bad he was very good but I think that in this company of actors he was the least good. Okay. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. And yeah. I kind of wish I had chosen that oh, answer okay. as well. Um, I kind of went with a cop out. Okay. I apologize. Okay. My initial thought was, <laughs> I didn't do this because then I thought of a better answer, but there is a scene like on the subject of them saying like, what do people want? They want dogs. So there's like this one scene where there's like a dog sitting there um, and he's, a, I'm sure he's a very good boy. He's very cute, but he has this like totally spaced out expression on his look. 
uh, it express it spaced out look on his face or uh-huh. expression on his face. Uh-huh. And um and then like someone says something and then he like jumps off the stage and runs away. But like he just looks so like he looks sedated from like <laughs> this poor dog. Like can't even just be a dog. But I didn't choose him. Oh. Um, <laughs> I chose Will as the nurse's cousin. Oh. Like because so okay so then he's like tailing you know like you know he's going to this party because he wants to keep an eye on uh viola but then he's like pretending to be a woman which is also kind of interesting that there's a scene where then he's pretending to be a woman Oh, you're right Uh uh-huh um but that he has to hold the thing like the like part of the dress up to cover his mm-hmm. the lower half of his face so you don't see his beard the whole time like yeah. you're just gonna you're so you're gonna go to this party and you're just gonna hold that the whole time <laughs> like there's no way any normal person would be like why are you doing that mm-hmm. and not think it's suspicious <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think We'll put a pin in that because okay. I think that 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 kind of ties into my you lost me at, but, Ooh, but we'll okay. get to that. Okay. Okay. All right. So on the other side of that coin, I had a hard time with best performance sort of for the same reason where like everyone's performance was great, particularly because most characters are playing multiple characters mm-hmm. because they're playing their own character and then they're in Romeo and Juliet and they have to play that character um but kind of going on that thread that's where what helped me land on I ultimately chose Gwyneth Paltrow okay because she is playing the most characters she and not just because but one reason is because she is playing the most characters she is playing Viola. She is playing Thomas Kent. She is playing Romeo. And then she's (laughs) playing Juliet. Mm -hmm. Um, And each of those characters is very distinct. Um, And you do see how she has different mannerisms with each of those characters. Um, Also, just the sheer number of lines that she had to perform and perform all sorts, you know, we always talk about the range of emotions and that oftentimes is what leads me to choose a character because you see them in so many different circumstances. I think that's exactly what she did. I was not, you know, after the, after we finished, John was like, I don't know if I see why she won an award for that. Um, But I think you just like kind of have to give it some thought and really think about the range of characters she played. I mean, is it the most groundbreaking performance? Like, does every scene make bring you to the edge of tears? No, I don't think there's that. But I think it's just um, like the demand on the actor to be able to play that role. And then also she was only 26. I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't award this category to anybody else. I love that answer. Can I tell you that I, I had such a hard time with this because again, we've said so many times, I thought everybody was phenomenal. I, at one point just wrote in my notes, can I just choose everybody? Um, (laughs) You could. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I, and I really, 
I kind of went back and forth and I was like, can I choose two people? Like, can I choose Gwyneth Paltrow and Joseph Fiennes because of the, how they portrayed the the relationship between Will and Viola? Because I, I feel like it's very, um, like it feels so real. Like you can feel the, the love that those two characters have for each other. Do I want to choose Joseph Fiennes because Gwyneth Paltrow, um, you know, she received so much acclaim for this performance. She won an Oscar for best actress. And I don't know how much attention he got because I think he's wonderful in mm-hmm. the film. I even now, I, you know, a 44 year old Gina falls in love with him just as much as 20 year old Gina did when, it, <laughs> when she first saw Aww. it in the theaters. I, I think his performance is actually like absolutely beautiful, but like you, I could not not pick Gwyneth Paltrow. <gasps> oh my God. I, I thought you were going to, you freaked me out again. <laughs> I did. I'm getting really good at the fake you outs, right? You're like, you're like when another friend's connection, it's like when Joey does the fake out. <laughs> Gina's doing the Joey fake out. Yeah, I really, I, oh, that's right. I got, <laughs> I know I didn't get the part. I yeah, the part. I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, no, I, I, all the reasons that you said, I think she's just absolutely spectacular in this film, you know, and, and I agree, she's playing so many different roles and they are very distinct from each other. I won't repeat everything that you said, but this does lead into my, you lost me at. Okay. Ready. Uh, my, you lost me at was they really couldn't tell that Thomas Kent was actually a, a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Okay. But here's the thing, like, you know, in, in the context of today, it's so obvious, but I feel again, this is one of the things that it's why you lost me at, but I still, I get it because one of the things that I appreciate about this film and I've said is how the film is structured so much like a Shakespeare play. Um, and I wrote in some of my other notes how I think that even though that's my you lost me at, I can forgive the other actors for not picking up on the illusion for for buying into it because that's what an audience of a Shakespeare production was asked to do during that time. They were mm-hmm. expected mm-hmm. to accept that a man or a young boy was playing a women's role. And so they, so they, you know, they suspend their disbelief and they buy into that illusion. And so we, as an audience are asked to do that. And so are the actors in the actual story. Um, But, but still, I mean, come on. (laughs) I know. And, um, what I found particularly frustrating was that there the, was the scene in the boat where when they kiss her the first time and Will is like describing to Thomas Kent this like beautiful creature he's just met and she's so beautiful and he's going to have all of these ways to describe what she looks like. And, and you're you're talking to her. So if you really think that that's what she like, you're so hyper focused on how she looks, but then you don't recognize her. Oh yeah, that's a good point too. So that was my you lost me at. Is that a point for us? That that Will specifically couldn't tell that Thomas was a woman. Yeah. Well, and and not even that she was a that 
that she was Vila was a woman, but yeah, that yeah. Hmm. I mean, I kind of want to give us the point, even though mine's more a broad general. How did nobody know? When you said yours, I immediately got excited that we had a point, but then, but then I wasn't sure if I was being too generous. I think it's close enough. I think it's close enough. And I think we deserve the point. Okay. I'm doing it. Yes. Oh my God. How many points is that so far? Um, we are currently at five points. Is this a new record? This is our documented documentation. It says (laughs) that we have five points. Okay. I I think think this is a record. This is a new record. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. My you had me at was the production of Romeo and Juliet. Mm, It was just, so I don't know if this is because I was a theater nerd. So like seeing it all come together um, was really a delight. I will say though, one thing that bothered me a little bit, but then I, I rationalized my way out of it, um, was that like all the, they had, so they had to move the performance to a different theater at the last minute. Like all the blocking would be off a little bit, but I suppose the theaters probably looked similar enough. Mm -hmm. And then also for, uh, Viola to know like all of Juliet's stage blocking so well, but I think you, you get to know that when you're involved in the production. So I put that aside anyway. So my, you had me at was a production. Um, it also just made me like, I had like a moment where I thought about this and it kind of sent a chill down my spine to think like there was actually an initial staging of this play. And like, could you imagine what it would be like to be there? Except you couldn't because you'd be dead for many, 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 many years. Yeah. Um, but I wonder, I wonder if people had people who were there ever had the ability to know how incredible that was. Yeah. Well, have you ever been to London? No, only the airport. <laughs> oh, okay. Cause I I've been, and I, when I went backpacking through Europe with my friend Katie, um, we went to London and it wasn't my first time there, but, uh, we actually, they, they have, a Shakespeare, they have like an Elizabethan theater, you know, like the open, yep. the open theater and everything. So we saw, I think we saw, Julius Caesar. Okay. That's a Shakespeare play, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure that it was that one. Yep. Um, and we, because we were backpacking and we didn't have a lot of money and we were on like a really tight budget, we were groundlings. So we bought, so we bought like groundling quote unquote mm-hmm. tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say it was one of my least favorite, um, theater <laughs> experiences ever uh-huh. because you really are just standing yeah. the whole time. And, yeah. it was so, and, you know, it was so uncomfortable, um, and, but they did have, they had men playing the women's roles. And so they tried, you know, so they tried to make it as true to, um, what it would have been like at that time. So in, in that sense, the experience was, I'm, I'm glad that I did it, but I can't imagine. And, and I love what you're saying about how, um, you know, thinking about like the original, I love that the, the theater geek in you is, is coming out for this, how, you know, you think about what the original blocking and everything. That's really cool. Like my mind definitely did not go there. Um, I just think about when, when I watch it and I see when they show the shots of the, the crowd and the groundlings, I'm always like those poor groundlings. Well, I would hate that too. Like I never want to be, I like Sean and I splurge for the nice seats at a fish show. Like I never want to be in the pit. And like, that's like the prime place to be. I don't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I need to sit down. 
Uh, yeah. Right. Especially in my old age, you know? Same. Yeah. Same. All right. Well, my, you had me at, I've mentioned this so many times already, so I don't think I need to get into too much of it, but my, you had me at was the screenplay. Mm-hmm. I have mentioned so many times how, how clever it is. I, I think the story is so beautiful. I, I love how they insert all of these little tidbits about Shakespeare and these theories in ways that appeal to anybody, how, you know, regardless of how much, you know, or don't know about him, how many of your, his plays you've read or haven't read, you can still appreciate the story. I think there's something in there for everybody. I, I wrote in my notes, I said, it's written like a Shakespeare play with a touch of the 20th century. I said 20th century because it was written in 19, yeah. you know, well, it, it was produced in 1998. Apparently it was written, I think like 10 years earlier. That's what I read too. Yeah. And they originally wanted Julia Roberts to play Viola. And then they were, she was trying to get Daniel Day Lewis to take the role of William Shakespeare, but then he turned it down. And then the, the studio just put a cap on the whole production. So it wasn't until much later when they cast Gwyneth Paltrow, they were able to make it come to be what it is. But um, yeah, I just thought the writing is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Stoppard, how do you, you know, my gosh. Speaking of writing, favorite line. Mm-hmm. I had I had a couple of runners up. Okay. Um, the first one I'm going to share is because it, it tickled me when I heard this. And especially afterwards when I was trying to decide what my favorite line was because it made me think of you, Sonia. Um, so it's when they're, it's when Henslow and Shakespeare are at a performance, um, in the, I forget where it is, if it's in Greenwich, but it's like with the queen and all of the aristocrats. Um, so it's a private performance and there's the dog that's going nuts on stage and everybody's laughing. And Henslow says to Willie says, you see comedy love and a bit with a dog. That's what they want. And I was like, that's what Sonia wants. It really is. That is really (laughs) all I want. It's so true. That's like my home life. (laughs) Right. So that was one of my runners up. The, the other two are both lines that queen Elizabeth says, um, one of them is after she, I guess, inspects Viola. I don't know what that was all about in her amazing peacock dress, by mm-hmm. the way, um, which was almost one of my you had me at. <laughs> um, and then afterwards, she goes up to um, Lord Wessex and says, have her then, but you're a lordly fool. She's been plucked since I saw her last and not by you. It takes a woman to know it. Uh-huh. I love that line. That's one of my favorite moments. It's a good line. Yeah, because Wessex is and can I just say Colin Firth, I almost picked him. He was one of my contenders for best performance because he is such a charming, handsome I man. I know, and you really hate him in this film. And so it's like... much. Yeah. Um, and I just I just love how how that moment, like the queen takes him down a few pegs and yeah. makes him look like a fool, makes him feel like a fool too. Um, a fool. Yeah. My other line of hers that I love is at the end when um, you know, it's she knows that Viola is a woman. Yeah, yeah. You know, but she's like, Yes, the illusion is remarkable. Um, you know, basically think, but this is obviously a man. And and she says, I know something of a woman in a man's profession. Yes, by God, I do know about that. And mm-hmm. I just love that that acknowledgement where it's like, Yeah, you and I, we have something in common. I know what you're doing. I respect it. You still have to, you know, go to Virginia with this jackass, but you yeah, know. like I can't get you out of this. Sorry. Yeah, but sorry. I, I respect what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I picked as my favorite line. And because this line gets me every time it's when Will and Viola are saying goodbye to each other. And I mentioned this line before, and he says to her, you will never age for me, nor fade, nor die. And I love that line so much because I think in some ways I, you know, I mean, we, you know, everyone's going to have their own idea of what this film is really about. But I think one of the things that it's trying to show us is that it, it it's, it's playing with this idea of art imitating life, but also how art can preserve life. So mm-hmm. you can't, you can't always have what you want, but you can use art to make the things that you want, but can't have real in some way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you can tell the story. Um, you can make someone immortal by writing about them, um, by painting them, you know, or, or something like, and, and I, and I just think that that is so beautiful. And I think in, in a lot of ways, that's what the movie is about because this romance that develops between Will and Viola um, is essentially what Romeo and Juliet becomes in this story. Mm -hmm. And um, so that relationship inspires him to write this play, um, you know, making their love uh, eternal. Yeah. Even though it can't be. And it's also him, it's like him recording what he remembers of her, of the way he was feeling about her um, and the way he presumably, at least he thinks he will continue to feel about her and just having it go somewhere um, and probably reliving how he feels when he sees that stage production and he, you know, he can experience it over and over again and I love that her response to it you know after he says goodbye her response to that is write me well Mm -hmm. um which I really loved yeah um well I had a couple runners up as well okay um my first one being (laughs) when they're first starting to uh uh embark in the physical act of love (laughs) (laughs) and Viola says I do not know how to undress a man (laughs) and Williams or Will says it is strange to me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my first one. My second one is actually from Tilney, who we both despise, but I love when he yells, That woman is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my favorite line was from Queen Elizabeth when she says, I know something of a woman in a man's <laughs> profession. <laughs> yes, by God, I do know about that. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I love those badass bitch moments in film. I and I feel know, like that right? was one of them. Just being like, you know what? I am the queen. I call all the shots. This is a man's profession, but I'm killing it. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, even though we didn't score there, we got five points, which I do think is a record. I am confident that that is a new record. I'm, I think the most we've ever gotten is four points. Yeah. Yeah. I will go back and check. So that brings us, so what's our total right now, Sonia? Um, one moment, please. Please hold. Doing some computations. Um, we are now at 68 points. Okay. That really like surged us up the hill. Yes, it did for sure. Because um, two episodes ago, we got zero points. Mm-hmm. The last episode, we got one point. Yep. So I think that um, this kind of made up for those. I would agree. Yeah. 
Well, Sonia, we're about to close the book on Shakespeare and love, but before we do, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? Um, not specifically about this film. I just want to say, I just love doing this so much. Um, (laughs) and it is really so fun to, you know, I don't like watching movies, but I always really, and as much as like, every time I have to put the movie on, I'm always like, oh, I don't want to do this. (laughs) But then I always just so look forward to our conversations. And I always find that like, when we start the categories, I start thinking about when you're going to tell me what the next movie is. And I get like really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I won't, I won't keep you in suspense any longer. Because our next, when our next episode airs, we will be, at least I will be in full school mode. So I thought I should pick a movie that, you know, kind of is, is a school movie, but this is not a movie that I would show in school. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Sonia, the next film that we are going to be watching, Jacob, tell me roll, please. Bad teacher. Okay. Sonia. Bad teacher. Bad teacher. What's it about, Sonia? Um, I think this is the one with Cameron Diaz, and maybe Justin Timberlake is also in it. And either they were dating at the time, or maybe they just broke up, but then they were both in the film, and everyone was like, oh, it's going to be so awkward. But I think it ended up being fine. Okay. So I think Cameron Diaz is someone who is not actually a teacher, like didn't go to get her degree or anything, but maybe she had a different job and got fired. So then she's like, oh, but I need to make money. So I'll just be a substitute teacher. It's cool. Um, Because everyone just thinks like, oh, I can just do that. It's easy. It's not. Um, so then she does that and then she goes into a school and I'm assuming like the kids are difficult, um, for whatever reason, but then she'll form a bond with them and then maybe want to become an actual teacher. (laughs) You know what? That's, I mean, that's, that's not really what it, I mean, that's not, that's not it, but I would actually like to see that movie. (laughs) Wait, did I just describe dangerous minds? No, she's an actual teacher. (laughs) Right? I don't know. I've never, nope, never saw it. With Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. She's a military. She's like ex-military and then becomes Well, don't tell me. What if we watch it? Oh, you're right. Well, okay. Forget that I said anything. I will. Well, you know what, Sonia? You'll just have to, you'll have to watch the movie and find out if right. Now, I already said I'm not a huge Cameron Diaz movie, but I will say that this movie grew on me because, well, you know what? I'm going to save all my commentary for the next episode. I was about to like dive into something, but we're going to, I'm going to save it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Okay. And I hope to school back to school, (laughs) bad teacher. I hope everyone else is excited, especially John Mulaney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Oh, and thank you for going to fish. It was nice to see you there. I didn't see you. Yeah. And that's the end of our episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at NNSI pod. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends, they can find us wherever they listen to their podcasts, like, and subscribe and all the things and join us next time with your cocktail at the ready. When we talk about bad teacher, we'll see you then because we've got lots more to watch.
And I've seen nothing. So please keep listening. And we'll keep watching. Bye. Bye.